How many of you brought your Bible tonight? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building this evening? And if you will, join me on page number 661 or back to the book of Psalms, chapter 119. And I'll just read a verse here as we've been doing, kind of use it just as a springboard to jump into the message for this evening, Psalms 119. And the next Wednesday night is the, uh, uh, the uh, baccalaureate service here. And I'm not real sure because we'll be on the letter R next Wednesday night. I might just pick out four R words for graduates. I ain't sure what I'm going to do about that yet, but uh, we'll do something next Wednesday night, Lord willing. And uh, so uh, I, 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 these services, I, uh, baccalaureate service, graduation service coming up soon. So it's just a lot going on as we finish out the school year. And, but I encourage you to be here. And regardless of that, somebody said, man, I ain't coming. It's baccalaureate service. Well, give, man, just come on anyway. I promise you this. We'll sing and preach and have a good time, give an, give an altar call, and it's a service. And I encourage you to be here uh, this coming next Wednesday night as well. Pray for the day on Sunday also. Psalms chapter 119. If you're there, would you say amen? All right, let's pray. Father, bless your word tonight, I pray, as we go over some more important Bible words that every child of God should know. I pray that you'd bless us tonight as we look at these words together. God, if somehow we could take these words to our heart, if somehow we could make these words a part of our lives in these last days. We'd be the better for it. So I pray you'd help us now. Speak to us for just a moment. Lord, I know folks have worked. Many have come, maybe even come to church from work. And maybe, or some rushed home and just maybe got a shower, jumped in the car, come to church. I know folks are tired. I get all that. But I pray you'd help us for just a moment. Would you refresh our minds from the Bible and encourage us tonight with these words, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look at Psalms 119 and verse number 140. And the Bible said this, Thy word, thy word, the word of God is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. Well, you know, we ought to love the Word of God. The love of God, the Word of God is pure. It's powerful. It's pertinent. It's important for these days in which you and I are living in. And you may remember that over these last several Wednesday nights, I guess now for months, we have been going through some words of the Bible. How I came up really with that idea was from Psalms 119. As I understand it, Psalms 119, of course we know is the longest chapter in our Bible. There are 176 verses and 173 of these verses actually deal, mention the Word of God. In fact, let me tell you this, God is found in every verse of Psalms uh, 119. And uh, man, we just need to, uh, we need to love God and love the Word of God. And if we'll do that, we won't mess up our lives. But how I got to even started thinking in this direction was, if you were to count them, there are 22 stanzas in Psalms 119. 22, uh, 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 22 sections of Psalms 119. I don't know anything about this, but I'm told just by reading commentaries that each one of these sections begins with a different letter 
letter of the Hebrew alpha, alphabet. So it's, the psalm breaks down into what we would call an acrostic. It begins with the first letter and goes all the way through the final letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And I got to thinking to myself when I was reading about that one day, you know, it'd be good if we just went starting with the first letter of our English alphabet and did our best to work our way through every letter and emphasize certain words found in the Bible. So that's kind of how it all came about. And if you don't like it, blame Psalms 119 for that. Or whoever wrote it. Some people think Moses wrote it. Others think David wrote it. Whatever, whoever wrote it, we know one thing about them. They loved the Word of God. And another thing about them was, it seemed like they sure was in a whole lot of trouble. And there's nothing that'll make you and drive you to the Word of God like having problems in your life and troubles in your life. So when you have troubles, man, one of the first things you're going to start doing is kind of go to the Bible. And so whoever wrote this psalm loved the Bible and had a lot of problems going on in their life. So we kind of have followed this pattern then. We've been started, we started weeks ago, months ago, years ago, decades ago with the letter A in our English alphabet. And we went through the Bible and we discovered, <coughs> excuse me, there were several important words in our English Bible, in our English alphabet that began with the letter A. Now, tonight, if you've been counting them, we are all the way down through the 17th letter of the English alphabet. Now, last week, we were on the letter P. And I did something unusual last week, if you think back to that. Uh, last week, I took the, the P words of the Bible, which actually were important feast days for the nation of Israel. So last week, we talked about the Passover. And we talked about Pentecost. And we talked about Purim. These were special days, and still are special days, on the, uh, on the Jewish calendar. So we looked at P words but just by emphasizing some great events in the, uh, in the, on the calendar of the nation of Israel. Now tonight, we're down to the letter Q. Now I tell you what's the truth. I tell you what's, I almost just skipped over the letter Q. You know, every week when I go through these words, I try to go through and find all the books of the Bible that begin with that particular letter. So last week we were in the, the letter P and we saw that there were six books in our Bible that begin with the letter P. There was Psalms, the book that I read from, the book of Proverbs, there's also the book of Philippians, the book of Philemon, and the book of First and Second Peter. Those were all books in our Bible that began with the letter P. Now, quickly, let me tell you all the books in our Bible that begin with the letter Q. All right, you may want to write these down. Ready? Now, with all that out of the way, there are no books in our Bible that begin with the letter Q. Then you know that ordinarily what I try to do is go through the Bible and find out some very important people whose names begins with the letter, for instance, the letter P, or as the case tonight, the letter Q. I told you several weeks ago there are 3,237 different men that are named in our Bible. Well, out of all of those people that are named, 3,237 of them, there's only one man in our whole Bible whose name begins with the letter Q. You could probably sit there from now till Sunday morning, Sunday school time, and you wouldn't come up with who this boy is. But his name is Cordus. Q-U-A-R-T-U-S. His name is Cordus. It only appears one time in the whole Bible, and his name means the fourth. You know, a quarter in our English language is the fourth of a dollar. 
Well, Cordus means the fourth. And all we know about this man is what we find in one verse of Scripture. And here it is, Romans chapter 16, verse 23. Paul is concluding, he's bringing to a close his letter to the church at Rome. And as he ordinarily did, you know, he always said, all right, they say, so-and-so says to you hello. So-and-so says send his greetings. So-and-so says he's praying for you. Well, as he's working through that list, he mentions this old boy in verse number 23 when he said this, Gaius, mine, own, mine host, evidently he was staying at Gaius' house, and of the whole church saluteth you. Now, that would be our way of saying, uh, oh, Gaius said tell y'all hello. Then he goes on to say, Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. Evidently, he was a politician. So I guess that means there are some politicians saved. Well, maybe there aren't. I, I don't know. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. And Cordus, there it is. Only man in the whole Bible whose name begins with the letter Q. And evidently, what we glean from this is, evidently, this Cordus guy was a brother of Paul. Maybe Paul even led him to the Lord. And evidently he was a member of the church of Corinth because we know Paul wrote the book of Romans from the city of Corinth. And so that's the only man in our whole Bible whose name begins with the letter Q. Only one man. And then I always try to talk about all the ladies in our Bible. You know, there's 188 named ladies that are in our Bible. And uh, out of all those 188 ladies, can I tell you something? There is not one woman in our Bible whose name begins with the letter Q. Not one. Now, there is a lady in the Old Testament who's called Queen Vashti. But really, I'm saving her do I get when I get to the V's. There's no ladies in our Bible whose name begins with the letter Q. Boy, we're, cut, we're narrowing it down tonight. Then I always try to talk about some very prominent places that begin with the letter that we're on for this particular week. But can I just tell you something? Did you know something? There ain't no real prominent places in our Bible that begin with the letter Q. In fact, let me tell you this. This amazed me. Our Bible consists of 66 books. There's 1,189 chapters. There's 31,172 verses. And there's 783,137 words in the King James Bible. 783,137 words in the King James Bible. And guess what? Only 35 of those words begin with the letter Q. So I just got to tell you something. Man, I, talk, I thought about just skipping over this to you. I thought, just move on. Everybody will understand that Brother Tim just struggled a little bit to find some words that started with the letter Q. But when I walked up on the platform tonight, Brother Mark had a little note sticking right there on the table that says, I'm not afraid. I have confidence in you that you have found enough words to string together a message. <laughs> And I looked at him and said, smart aleck. <laughs> but never fear. We have found enough words. Let's start with the letter Q. I, I'm honest with you. I, I'm just being honest with you as I can. I really would have just skipped over this. But these words were really so good, I just couldn't, I couldn't skip over them. 
So let's look tonight at four words in our Bible that we need to be familiar with as we live out these last days, all of which begin with the letter Q. All right? Let's get started. The first one is the word quench. The word quench. Now, the word quenched, or some form of it, is used 29 times in the whole Bible. And each and every time that it is used, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, it always is used in the sense of putting something out or stifling or dampening or dousing or suppressing or putting out. And every time in the Bible, mostly it is used in regard of maybe putting out a fire or, 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 or smoking embers. Now, normally when we think about fire and we think about smoke, the one thing that pops into our mind is a place called hell. You know, when we think about hell, we think about fire and we think about hot coals and we think about smoke because the Bible defines or describes a place called hell that is a place of fire, a place of smoke, and, and, a, and a place of, 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 of great torment. And I found this out. You know, a lot of times when Jesus talked about hell, he used the word quenched in the same regard. For instance, would you look at this verse right here? Jesus said this about hell, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not, and then there's the word, quenched. In fact, if you were to look at that Mark chapter 9 passage, what really makes it so unusual is when Jesus preached on hell in that particular chapter, he didn't preach on hell to a bunch of publicans and a bunch of Pharisees and a bunch of Sadducees. When Jesus talked about hell in that chapter, he's preaching to his own disciples in a house. And Jesus just reared back and just preached on the subject of hell to his own disciples. Now I could get it. I understand if Jesus would have preached that to a bunch of Peter's cussing fishermen buddies or maybe Mary Magdalene brought some of those harlot ladies with her or, or the maniac Adair brought some of his demon-possessed buddies over. I could get that. Jesus preached it on hell. But why in the world would he preach on hell to his own disciples? And then say it's like this. Hell is a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is never, ever quenched. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, somewhere underneath our feet tonight, there is a place of fire. There is a place of hot coals. There is a place of molten lava. There is a place of smoke. And the thing that Jesus said about hell is this, the fires of hell will never be quenched. They'll never be stifled. They'll never be doused. They'll never be put out. They'll never be suppressed. They'll never be dampened. They'll never be stifled. They will burn forever and ever and ever. That's why you and I ought to be constantly engaged in the habit of trying to warn people about this place called hell. I mean, what kind of a fireman would he be if he went to a house and the fire, the house was on fire, knowing there's people on the inside? If he didn't break a window, sound the alarm, uh, beat on the door, didn't do something to arouse those people to get them out of that burning house. Ladies and gentlemen, people are still dying without God and they're going to a place where the fires are never, ever going to be quenched. And it's our responsibility to tell them they don't have to. I told you this before about them two old boys that was in a restaurant. They were talking, having a conversation, and they got mad at each other. 
And one of them, you know, they were raising their voices, getting mad. And, and so this Christian walked in. He sat over the corner booth. But, I mean, they were so loud, uh, you just you couldn't help but hear what they were saying to one another. And finally, one of them just stood up, threw his napkin down the table, and looked at that guy and said, Why don't you just go to hell? And stormed out of the restaurant. Well, this Christian man, he heard that and got up over there and said, Sir, I don't mean to intrude in your conversation, but I couldn't help but hear God told you to go to hell. But I have some good news. You don't have to go if you don't want to. And can I just tell you something? That's the good news about hell. There is a terrible place called hell, but the good news is you don't have to go if you don't want to. I mean, that's the message we've got to tell the world tonight. You don't have to go if you don't want to. Hell may be an awful place, and it is an awful place, but can I tell you something? It's an avoidable place. Nobody, nobody has to die and go to hell because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. The fires may never be quenched, but the good news is you don't have to go if you don't want to. The word quenched, but really that's not what I'm talking about. Because we find another verse. And by the way, look at this verse. Just let me, in passing, look at this Revelation 14 verse. Don't tell me that hell is a place where the fires, it, it, people just go and burn up. I don't believe that. You know, Herbert W. Armstrong, the Worldwide Church of God, he used to teach something called annihilation in hell. When a person dies and goes to hell, they just burn up and it's over with. But the Bible said this, Revelation 14, 11, the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Smoke is going to come up out of hell forever and ever. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. The fires of hell will never be quenched. But that's not the way I want to use the word. I want to use it in this verse right here. And it says this, quench not the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, we know automatically, number one, he's talking about the Holy Spirit because if you look at the word Spirit, it's got a capital S, 99 point so much percent of the time in the Bible when you see the word Spirit with a capital S, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. So we're being commanded here. Now, whatever we do, don't you quench the Holy, the Holy Spirit. Now, go back again. What does quench mean? It means to stifle. It means to suppress. It means to dampen. It means to douse. Don't quench the presence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. There are really three sins that we're told in the Bible that people can commit against the Holy Spirit. Number one, people can resist the Holy Spirit. You know, there is a form of that Calvinism that says that uh, one of those letters in that tulip is the word I, which means irresistible grace. In other words, if you're going to be saved, you're not going to be able to resist being saved. I mean, if it's God has chosen you to be saved, you can't resist that. You're just going to be saved. I don't believe that. Acts chapter 7 talks about Stephen preaching that day, and Stephen looked at that crowd and said, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. Don't tell me people can't resist him. I see it going about every Sunday around here. I see people sit back and sometimes they got tears running down their face. They wouldn't dare look up at you. I mean, man, they're standing there. They, they shift from one foot to the other. They're, man, they're just, they're a nervous wreck. Sometimes they're crying and then they get up and walk out the same way. You say, what'd they do? They resisted the Holy Spirit. 
Sad indeed is the man who resists the Holy Spirit. We can resist him. The Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 verse 30, the Bible said, And grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. We can resist him. We can grieve him. We can break his heart by doing things that are contrary to, to, to God's will for our life. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. He wants to direct us and help us to accomplish God's plan and will and purpose for our lives. And any time we step outside of that, guess what? We grieve. We cause the Holy Spirit great heartache. Don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But then we're told in this verse that we can quench the Holy Spirit, that we can, we can stifle His presence in our life. Now we know one of the emblems used throughout the Holy the Bible for the Holy Spirit is fire. Remember on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, the Bible said they were they uh, cloven tongues of fire appeared unto them. Remember when Jesus came on the scene and John the Baptist was introducing him? He said, I tell you what, uh, I'm not worthy to unlatch his shoes. And then he said this, his fan is in his hand, he'll thoroughly purge his floor, he'll baptize with the Holy Ghost. And with fire. One of the emblems that's used throughout the Bible for the Holy Spirit is fire. And now we're told, all right, now don't you quench, don't you stifle, don't you douse the fire of the Holy Spirit. Don't dampen his fire in your life. As I've said recently, in, frequent, in, in day, recent days, when you and I become God's child, the Holy Spirit moves into our life, takes up his abode. He lives on the inside of us. He'll live with us forever. However, anytime you and I disobey the Lord, we grieve His presence in our life. We quench His presence. I really think that's really in a congregational setting about that. Well, that verse was up there, wasn't it? But I really think because all those verses in that 1 Thessalonians 5 passage is not only good individually, but it's good for congregationally. And you know something? We're told in that chapter now there's certain things we shouldn't do. Rejoice evermore. That ought to be true when we come to church. It ought to be a time of rejoicing when we come to church. Pray without ceasing. But we ought to pray when we come to church. Uh, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Despise not prophesying. Hey, don't get mad at the preacher over preaching. Despise not prophesying. And then he said this, and quench not the Spirit. Boy, we don't want to quench the Spirit when we come together as God's people. We won't obey the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. The Bible said in 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 2, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You look it up. But any time you and I disobey Him in a service, we quench Him. Somebody's come up to me the other night and said, Preacher, God told me to stand up and testify tonight. And I didn't. And he said, I just wanted to come tell you, I'm sorry I didn't do it. You know what he did? He quenched the Spirit that night. When God tells you to do something, if you're sure God's telling you to do it, do it. That's good advice, isn't it? When you come to church here, if God said, hey, get up, I don't care if it's right in the middle of the, of the, of the message and the Holy Spirit impresses your heart, get up and go down there and pray. In God's name, get up and go down there and pray. Amen. If God tells you. Now, if it's you, don't do it. It'll distract. But if God's impressing you to testify, if God's, in, and by the way, whatever he impresses you to do will be done decently and in order because our God is not the God of confusion. Now, we don't. Let me just go ahead and say this. We're a Baptist church. We don't speak in tongues here. 
If anybody ever stands up and starts speaking in tongues, you say, Preacher, what are you going to do? Don't worry about it. I'm going to rebuke them. I'm going to set them down. And if they won't sit down, I'll have somebody to come and we'll escort them out of here. Can I have an amen? You say, well, I'm going to try that. Don't try that. Please don't try that. I'm going to embarrass you and me both. But I tell you this, when the Spirit of God tells you to do something, don't quench him. If he tells you to go to somebody and hug their neck and say, I'm sorry, I said something about you, do it. That may be the start of revival. Quench not the Spirit. The word quench. Boy, that's a good word, isn't it? Quench. Second word, quench. Don't you quench him. Second word's this. Oh, brother, quick or quickly. Now, that word, the word quick or the word quickly is used numerous times throughout the Bible. In fact, it appears 75 different times in the Bible, in the Word of God. And really, it's used in, in two different ways. Sometimes when we read the word quick or quickened, it means to give life. For instance, we're told in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1, and you hath he, and then there's that word quickened. And you hath he quickened who were what? Dead in trespasses and in sin. You see, when you and I were born into this world, our first birth, we, we were born DOA, dead on arrival. I mean, physically we were alive, but spiritually we're dead. Can I have an amen? Our spiritual antennae is broke. That's why we have no desire for the things of God. That's why we have no desire for spiritual things. We don't have a spiritual appetite. Look, if, and I don't mean this disrespectful, but if we had a dead body right here, and say it had been here for seven days, I could cook a big old cheeseburger this big, bring it up here and say, all right, have at it right here. And I promise you, that dead person don't want that cheeseburger. He has no appetite for it. And can I tell you why it's so hard to get our loved ones to come to church? I'll tell you why. They don't have a spiritual appetite. They're physically alive, but they're not spiritually alive because every one of us were born in the world the same way we were dead on arrival, spiritually dead. But oh, then came the glad day when we received Jesus as our Savior, and the Bible said that the Holy Spirit quickened us. He gave us life. And now we love what we used to hate, and we hate what we used to love. What did that? What happened? Well, you just come alive spiritually. You receive spiritual life. Now you've got an appetite for spiritual things and you no longer have an appetite, or at least we're not supposed to, for fleshly things. What made the difference? I'll tell you what made the difference. We come alive. We were quickened spiritually. That's a good Bible word. Quick, quickened. But really, that's not how I want to use that word. I want to use the word in this manner quick or quickly. You know, the very first words that Jesus spoke that were recorded for us in our Bible was about the Father's business. You remember when his mom and daddy took him up to Jerusalem, feast of the Passover, and then they left him and went a day's journey away, and then it took them three days to finally find Jesus. And they come to Jesus, and Mary kind of just rares him out just a little bit. You know, our, your father and I have sought thee sorrowing. I mean, she's kind of getting after him a little bit. And he said, how is it that you sought me? Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? His very first words recorded for us in the Bible was about the father's business. But the very last words that Jesus ever spoke recorded for us in the Bible was about his final business. Now, what is his final business? Right here. He which testified these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. 
Even so, come Lord Jesus. Now, the Bible reminds us that when Jesus comes, he is coming, he's coming quickly. In fact, three times in Revelation chapter 22, Revelation 22 verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. Revelation 22 verse number 12, and behold, I come quickly. And then Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 20. Surely I come quick. Now, if he'd have said that one time, that would have been good enough. But three times in one chapter, Jesus said, I just want to tell you now, be on high alert. I'm coming quickly. Now, what does that mean, coming quickly? Does that mean that he's just, he's going to die and he's going, he's going to go back to heaven and, and quickly he's going to come right back? Well, in a real sense, can I tell you something? It's only been two days since Calvary. A little over two days since Calvary. In God's estimation, it's only been a couple of days since his son died on Calvary. Because the Bible said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 8, a day of the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. We know it's been a little over 2,000 years since Jesus was put to death on Calvary. But if a thousand years is as a day, it's just been a couple of days since he died. But I, I don't think when Jesus said, I come quickly, I don't think he's emphasizing days. I think he's emphasizing duration. What I mean by that is this. I think the Lord is telling us, hey, when I do come, <laughs> it's going to be quick. Hey, when I do come, man, you better be ready because my coming is going to be quick. When I come back, I mean, it's going to be boom and it's going to happen. And it's going to be over with. You ever had somebody tell you this? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait to get saved till Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, I'm going to drop down on my knees and I'm going to accept him as my Savior. And I'm going to get saved when Jesus comes. No, you won't. There ain't enough time. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the, at the last trump, the trumpet of God shall sound. The dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I mean, that's how quick it's going to be. There's another verse over in Matthew chapter number 24 and verse number 27 that describes the coming of Jesus as a flash of lightning. You know, we have these storms occasionally. We drove through a hailstorm and a half Monday. Did anybody get in that, caught in that hailstorm? I thought I was going to break the windshield out of the truck. It was hailing so hard. I never heard of hell. We pulled off the side of the road like everybody else did. It was just, man, it was terrible. You ever seen that lightning during a storm? It's poof and it's gone. It lightens and brights up the whole sky. And maybe if you're in the bed, it lights up the whole room. But then it's over and just a, in a flash. Jesus said, hey, I just want to tell you all when I come, it's going to be over in a flash. It's going to be over in a, in a matter of just a few, a few seconds, not even a second. You know, the twinkle of a human being's eye, General Electric, Electric measured the twinkle in a human being's eye at 11 one-hundredths of a second. That's pretty fast. Jesus is going to come, we're leaving, boom, out of here. In fact, it's going, you say, you believe in one, are you one of them secret rapture people? I believe this, the only people that's going to know Jesus comes are people who's got a receiver in their heart. You know, right now in this room, there's all kinds of signals bouncing off these walls. A WXI, boom, right there. Oh, I just almost caught it there. There's all kinds of radio signals bouncing off these walls. But the reason we can't pick them up, we ain't got no receiver. If I had a TV and I plugged it in and turned it to channel 12, I could pick up WXII. The signal's all in this room. 
We just don't have a receiver. Guess what? When you got saved, God put a receiver in your heart. And when the signal comes from heaven, thank God those of us that have been saved that's got the receiver is going to pick up on the signal. We're leaving out of here. And this world's going to remain totally indifferent to it all till it's over. And he's coming quickly. That's a good Bible word. So we got quench. We got quickly. Oh, here's another one. Quit. Quit. That's a good Bible word. It's only, it's only six times in the whole Bible. And, and, and it's used in two different ways. First of all, it's used in the sense to acquit. Like, it, it means to, in some cases, it's used to be declared innocent. You're quit from it. Or it means this, not responsible for. Or you've not been found guilty of. In fact, here's an Old Testament verse that uses it like this. Look at this verse. If an ox gore a man or a woman, that they die. So you got an ox, he gets out the fence, he goes over to the neighbor's house, and he bonsais them. If an ox gore a man or woman that they die, then the owner, of the, then the ox shall surely be stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but at least the owner of the ox shall be quit. He'll be found innocent. I mean, he couldn't help it. He didn't even know the hole in the fence was there. He didn't know the ox was going to go over and stab somebody with the, one of his big old horns and kill somebody. He didn't know what was going to happen. He shall be quit. By the way, the next verse says this. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past and had been testified to his owner, he hath not kept it in. But he that killed a, uh, he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned. His owner shall be put to death as well. Should have kept his ox up. But if he didn't know it, he's quit. But you know, most of the time, three other times in our New Testament, the word quit is used in the sense of be strong. Look at this verse right here. Look at this one. Be strong and quit yourselves like men. Look at this verse in the New Testament. It says this. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. Now, when we think about the word quit, we think of stopping something. We quit it. You know, we've had a lot of people that's quit during COVID, haven't we? Uh, they say they're watching at home on TV. I hope they are. I think it's time to come back to church, don't y'all? I really do. If you can run to Walmart, I'm telling you this hydrogen peroxide infusion is falling down, causing these lights to twinkle in here like this. I think you're going to be all right over here. A lot of people have stopped. But the Bible word, the word quit in the Bible don't mean to stop. It means to be strong. It means to stand firm. It means to keep the faith. So in other words, I thought I'd never say this, but I'm going to say it. I hope every one of y'all in here quit. You say, what do you mean? I mean, I hope you're strong. I hope you stand firm. Quit you like men. You know, in our terminology, we say, man up. Boy, we need to, we need to man up. We need to quit and be strong. There's the word quit. Finally, there's this word, the word quiet. The word quiet. And let me just show you how it's used and we're done. But here's a good verse with the word quiet and that you study to be quiet. Let me put that in for South Carolina language. Make it your ambition 
to be quiet. And then it says this, and do your own business. Boy, that's a good verse, ain't it? Hey, make it your life's ambition just to be quiet. What does that mean? I think it means this. When somebody comes to you and starts spreading a bunch of gossip to you, make it your life's ambition. It ain't going to go no further than this. I'm going to be quiet about it. When somebody comes to you and starts spreading a bunch of old junk to you, say, hey, won't me and you, if it's about me. <laughs> First of all, smack them if it's about me. Don't worry about it. Just smack them in Jesus' name. But then, why don't you say this? Well, right there's a preacher. Let's go up here and find out the truth about all this. Let's just go up here and talk to him about it. Be quiet. Study to be quiet. And watch this. Do your own business. Why don't you stay out of everybody else's business? I don't know about you, but I got enough of my own business. <laughs> How about you? You got enough of your own business? Study to be quiet. Do your own business. Hey, just to stay out of everybody else's business, take care of your own business and make it your ambition. You don't have to apologize for what you don't say. Be quiet. Hey, how many of y'all agree with me? There's four good Bible Q words. Am I right? What about those good Q words there? Say them with me. Number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. Quiet. If I told you, we'll do those four things or not do them, as the case may be. There ain't no telling what might happen in our lives. Don't quench the spirit. Realize he's coming quickly. We're out of here. Man, let's quit. <laughs> let's quit. I hope every one of y'all quit. By this Sunday, I hope you quit. Be strong. And then, shh, be quiet. Let's pray.